coming to one of the most well-known and familiar stories in the entire Bible. I think everybody knows about the story of the time where Jesus was in a boat and he calmed a storm at sea. Uh, Everybody knows that, right? But fewer people know about another time that Jesus calmed a storm at sea. Uh, It was the year 1748, and the ship was called the Greyhound. It was a slave trading ship that had been caught in a fierce storm on the Atlantic for a week straight. All the sails on the ship had been ripped and torn apart. Uh, The wood on one side of the ship had been torn away and splintered, and the ship was taking on water fast. They knew that they were going down. And the man who was uh, the captain of the ship, who was steering this ship through the storm, was a man who was known as the Great Blasphemer. He was a man who had such a reputation for profanity and coarseness and debauchery that he shocked even the sailors on board. His name was John Newton. John Newton and the other sailors thought there was no hope of survival. They thought they were destined to die at sea. And Newton, who was not a Christian at the time, prayed to the Lord and begged the Lord for mercy. He begged God to save them from this storm, and almost immediately, the storm stopped. I mean, it's been recorded in history that this actually took place. Newton went to pray, not even a Christian, and almost immediately, the storm stopped. And Newton was so amazed by this that he wrote in his diary, The Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. He couldn't believe that God would not only listen to, but actually answer the prayers of a great blasphemer and sinner like him. It was the first time that he had experienced the amazing grace of God in his life, which you know led him years later to write these words, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Newton, when he witnessed the instant power of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, he was left wondering, what sort of God is this? That's exactly what the disciples were wondering. You know this this story well. The disciples, they're at sea. There's this great storm. It's horrible. They're terrified. They think there's no escape. They think that they're destined to die at sea. Death was imminent. But then what happens? Jesus stands up. And he rebukes the winds and the waves, and that actually listened to him. I mean, I know that we're familiar with this story, but please don't miss that part, that, that Jesus literally spoke to creation, and it responded and obeyed him. Who has the power to control the forces of nature? Who has the authority to command creation? The disciples look out and see the calm that has now taken place. They look at Jesus, they look at each other, and they go... What sort of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You see, church, this is a great story and it has a great lesson for us this morning. The the whole message to God's people today is that no situation in our lives is too much for Jesus to handle. Yes, it does speak to Jesus' power over creation. It does speak of the authority that he has over nature and creation. But the message, the heart behind the passage for God's people today is that no situation in our lives is too much for Jesus to handle. But it leads to a question, right? 
If we know that, like the disciples, we're going to encounter storms in this life, and there are going to be trials, and there are going to be difficulties, then what do we do when troubles and difficulties come our way? What do we actually do as Christians when troubles and difficulties come our way? There's a lot of things we could do, right? A lot of things we tend to do that maybe we shouldn't. But what must we do? What must we do when trials and difficulties come our way? Well, I want you to notice how the Bible begins there in verse 23. The Bible says, Now, when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, being Jesus, was asleep. So here's what you need to understand about this passage. It is a continuation of last week's passage. If you remember last week, if you were here for that, we were talking about the dangers and the difficulties of discipleship. Y'all remember? Jesus was saying, if you're going to come and follow me, life is going to be difficult for you. If you're going to follow me, there are going to be legitimate dangers that you are going to face. It's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. It's not going to be a cakewalk. There is an actual cost to following Jesus. And so he was warning people about the cost of discipleship. And this is a continuation of that story because notice how it starts out. It says that Jesus gets in the boat and what do his disciples do? They follow him. So here they are. They're taking him up on that offer. It's going to be hard. We're going to follow you. And what immediately happens when they start following Jesus? Difficulty. The storm at sea is an illustration of the reality of the difficulties that you're going to face when you follow Jesus. It's a real event that happened, but it shows that when you follow Jesus, life is not always going to be easy. There are going to be trials. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be storms that come your way. And don't miss this, okay? Before Jesus leads his disciples through the storm, what does he first do, church? He leads them into the storm. Do you think that this storm took Jesus by surprise? No. The Bible says our God knows all things, does he not? So Jesus knew that this storm was coming. And he didn't look to his disciples and go, hey, uh, listen, there's going to be a pretty bad storm tonight. Maybe we need to wait and travel another day. Maybe we need to find another path. Maybe we should just wait a little bit, let the storm pass. No, Jesus knew this storm was coming and he gets in the boat and he leads his disciples right into the storm. And you might be thinking, well, pastor, Jesus doesn't do things like that. God wouldn't do things like that. God is supposed to lead people away from storms. He's supposed to lead people through storms. He's supposed to keep his people from storms. Jesus would never lead his people into storms, but oh, yes, he would. I mean, you read the Bible cover to cover and you see it time and time again. Did God not lead Abraham to Mount Moriah and say, I need you to offer up your son, your only son, the one whom you love? Did God not lead the people of Israel right to Egypt, where they would face trial after trial and difficulty and cruelty? Did God not continue to dwindle down Gideon's army until they were only 300 in number going up against an army of thousands? Was that not God who was doing that? Did did God not first lead the Israelites into the wilderness before he led them through the wilderness? Does the Bible not say, as we read earlier in Matthew chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit specifically drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by Satan? Yes, it does. 
Time and time again throughout the Bible, God leads His people into storms. He leads His people into difficult and trying circumstances. And you might be wondering, well, why? Why would God do that? If He's so good and He's so loving, so merciful, why would He lead us into storms? It's because He's trying to teach us something, right? So here's what I want you to understand. When the storms come into your life, before we look for relief, we need to look for the lesson. Our immediate gut reaction, our knee-jerk reaction is what? I want relief. I don't want this storm. I want this trial to be over. I know it's just started, but I'm ready for it to be over. Before we look for relief, we need to look for the lesson. God uses the storms of this life to teach us valuable lessons about Himself and about ourselves. And about the faith. He'll use storms to teach you patience, which is never fun. Pray and ask God for patience. And then guess what? He's going to send you a situation where you have to be patient. And it's like, okay, here's your opportunity to see if you actually are going to be patient or not. God will use these storms to teach you patience, perseverance, understanding, humility, kindness. Very often he uses these storms to teach us to trust him though. So whenever we're called up in a storm, church, we need to ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach me through this storm? What's the lesson here? What is God wanting me to learn? Because you know as well as I do, far too often we fall into the illusion that we're the ones in control, right? Don't we love to be in control? You're not going to say yes because you know it's true. We love to be in control. We love to think and pretend like we have control over every aspect of our lives. That's why we plan every aspect of our lives. And we like to think that we can control everything. And so what does God do in that situation? Well, he sends you a nice little storm to humbly remind you of how little you actually can control. To see if you're going to try to do what only God can do and control a storm and try to calm a storm, if you're going to trust him. Because I don't know if you know this, we're really bad at trying to calm storms. I don't know if you've ever done that. When's the last time it was storming around here? You know, a couple of weeks ago, and it was lightning striking everywhere, and nearly knocked down the parsonage with that tree. Did you go outside and you say, hey, you stop it. That's enough of that. Stop the thunder, stop the lightning. No, of course not. You'd look ridiculous. If anyone saw you do that, they'd call the cops because you're a crazy person. We can't control storms. And the same thing is true with your life. When these difficult situations come into your life, You need to understand that most of the time you have little to no control over any of that. And so God says, are you going to trust me through this storm? Because when God sends a storm, he sends a lesson. God was teaching Abraham to put God first above everything else in his life, even above the thing that he loved most in this life. He was teaching Gideon to put his trust not in the size of his army, or in the strength of his army, but in God alone to give the victory. He was teaching Israel to depend on God and trust God, listen to me, even when they didn't fully understand what God was up to. You ever been there in your life? I know God. I love God. don't really know what he's doing. I don't understand what he's up to right now. But he's teaching me to trust him through this. And he was teaching the disciples the same lesson. To trust in God through all of life's difficulties. There is always a lesson, church. And here's the hard part. This is the part I hate telling you as your pastor, but you know as well as I do, Christians are not exempt from the storms of life, are we? Wish that we were. That'd be fantastic. 
I mean, we know the prosperity preachers are wrong, but wouldn't it be nice if they were right? I mean, let's just be honest. It'd be sweet if they were right, but they're not. We're not exempt from the storms of this life. We're not immune to the storms of this life. We're going to have difficulties and trials. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that God's going to keep you from getting cancer. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that God's going to necessarily heal the cancer. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that God is going to keep you from dementia. It doesn't mean that you are going to get to live a pain-free life. You might end up losing your job. Your dreams, which you're working towards, they might not become a reality. You might not get the life that you've dreamed of. Listen to me, this one's really hard for all the type A people like me. God might not make things happen on your timeline. Very often he doesn't. If you're a Christian, you know that you're going to have to endure the death of your loved ones. You know that persecution will come. You know that you'll be mistreated. You know that you'll be insulted. You know that you will be mocked. People will make up lies about you. And this passage forces us to ask, will the dangers and troubles and hardships of this life cause me to stop following Jesus? Or am I going to trust him through every storm this life possibly throws at me? Because here's the reality. The storms of this life The difficulties of this life, they will reveal who or what our trust is actually in. You say that you love God. You say that you trust God. But let me tell you this morning, the storms of this life, those difficult times that come into this life, they will show 100% who or what your trust is actually in. When C.S. Lewis lost his wife, when she died, this is what he wrote. He said, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. Listen, he always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize that fact was to knock it down. And that's the point of storms, church. It's not so that God will know the strength of your faith or so that God will know the measure of your trust. He already knows those things. The purpose of storms is for God to reveal to us the strength of our trust and the measure of our faith. And so what do we do? What do we do when these storms come? Well, I want you to notice, look at what the disciples did here. Look at verses 25 to 26. The Bible says, and they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Now, notice, as Jesus clearly points out here, that the disciples are afraid. They're terrified. And from a human perspective, let's be honest, they have every reason to be, right? I mean, the Bible literally describes their situation here. They're out on the water, and the waves are so big, the waves are crashing over them. I don't know if you've ever seen anything on TV of these boats that are out at sea, like these big crabbing boats and things like that. It's amazing because you have these huge boats, and they're out at sea, and a storm comes, and they're going up against waves that are literally taller than the entire boat, and they're crashing over them, and people are just being washed around like they're ants. It's terrifying, is it not? I mean, if I was out there, I probably wouldn't be out there in the first place, but if I was, I would be terrified. 
So from a human perspective, we get it. We can see why the disciples are afraid. After all, in verse 23, if you have your Bible there where it says that a storm arose, in Greek, this is literally what it says. It says seismos megas. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to pick up on a few words that you already know there, like seismic and mega. In other words, this is no ordinary storm. This isn't just your pop-up, you know, easily South Carolina afternoon thunderstorm in the summer. This is an earth-shaking, seismic megastorm. And if you want to know how bad it really is, keep in mind that everyone on board this ship, apart from Jesus, has been on the water their whole lives, right? These are experienced fishermen. These are men who have probably been on a boat for as long as they could walk. They are used to storms at sea. They have weathered storms at sea before. But this storm is so bad that even the people who are most equipped to handle this storm throw their hands up because they realize there is not a thing they can do to get themselves out of this situation. That's how bad this storm is. And so look, they do the right thing, don't they? They go to Jesus. Jesus, save us! We're perishing. That's the right thing to do. And just a, a you know, side note here, whenever something bad happens in your life, you have a storm coming into your life, the first thing you should do and the right thing you should do is take it to Jesus. Okay? Take your problems to Jesus. Go to Him in prayer. He cares for you. Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. They do the right thing. But before we go patting them on the back, you have to realize here that even though they did the right thing, They did it with the wrong attitude, which is evident because Jesus says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. So so don't miss this. This is interesting. Jesus is saying there are some inconsistencies between what you're doing and why you're doing it. The, The disciples realize that such a big storm requires a big savior. And Jesus is saying, if you know you have such a big savior, then why do you have such little faith? There's some inconsistencies here. What's the point of this? There's a big storm. You need a big Savior. So why then do you have such little faith? Well, it's because you have to understand something, church. They're not doubting Jesus' power here. That's never in question. There's a big, bad storm. They're threatened with death at sea. And so what do they do? They go to Jesus. They're not doubting His power. They're saying, Jesus, I know you can do something. They're doubting His heart. They're saying, Jesus, I know you have the power to put an end to this storm. The question is, do you even care enough to save us from this storm? Do you even love us enough to deliver us from this storm? And that's really evident in Mark's account, because in Mark 4.38, the disciples actually say, do you not care that we are perishing? Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Do you not care that we're perishing? And I don't want you to miss this. This is one of the greatest dangers of storms. Storms have the potential to change our perspective of God. Storms have the potential to change how we see God and what we think about Him. Because we we know who our God is, right? Thankfully, because God's revealed Himself to us in His Word. And we know that His Word is infallible, it is inspired, and it is inerrant. 
And we know that the Bible tells us that God is good. God is kind. God is loving. God is just. God is merciful. God is gracious. And very importantly, that God never changes. But you know as well as I do, when you're in the midst of a storm and everything is raging around you and your whole life feels like everything is crumbling. You've been there before. Everything's crumbling. You feel like everything's out of your control. You don't know how you're going to make it or what you're going to do. You know as well as I do, you start questioning everything that the Bible says about God in that moment. I know the Bible says He's good, but it sure doesn't feel like it right now. I know the Bible says that He's kind, But I'm not really feeling like he's that kind right now. I know the Bible says that he's loving, but this does not feel like love to me. There's a disconnect. Do you see that? That's what the disciples are battling here. They're wondering, I know what we've heard about him, but is he really good? The same thing that you've probably wondered. If God is so good as everybody says he is, then why is he letting this happen to me? If God is so good, then why wouldn't he stop this? Why wouldn't he deliver me? Why is this happening if God is good? It was also what C.S. Lewis was battling when he lost his wife. Again, he wrote, Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. He said, The real danger is coming to believe such dreadful things about God. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all. But, so this is what God is really like. Deceive yourself no longer. And that's what the disciples are battling here. The disconnect between what they know to be true and what they're experiencing in the moment. And it's threatening to change their perception of God. So what do we do in that situation, church? When that happens to you, well, we must remind ourselves of who our God is, not who our circumstances make us think He is. Notice the difference there. You've got to preach the gospel to yourself every day, all right? It's not just me preaching to you on Sundays. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Remind yourself of who God is, not who your circumstances make you think that He is. One of the best verses you'll find in all the Bible, Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Praise God for that. Anyone else thankful for that? Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. So let me ask you a question real quick. Have you ever experienced the goodness of God in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Have you experienced the mercy of God in your life? Have you experienced the grace of God in your life? How about the kindness of God? How about the salvation of God? Let me tell you something then. If that is true and you have experienced those things, God's not the one who's changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's changed is your circumstances. And you have to learn to separate those things. God is the same. He is still the same good God that He was on my best days. Amen? He's still the same loving God that He was when I truly felt His love on my best days. And He is still that same God here in the midst of this storm and in the midst of my darkest days. God does not change. God has not changed. Our circumstances have changed. And they are going to change. 
And they're going to change often. And if your perception of God changes each time your circumstances change, you've got a God you cannot depend on. You've got a God you cannot trust in. You've got a God that's not the God of the Bible. The problem is everybody knows this, right? We can all affirm these things. And what's worse is we, all, we know all this with our head. And then we try to go and comfort other people. And it's easy to know these things and affirm these things and say that they're true when it's not you, right? It's so easy when it's not you. It's the easiest thing in the world to go and encourage someone who's lost their job. Hey, it's going to be all right. Things will just work out. It's easy to go and and talk to someone who's just lost, lost their wife and tell them, well, hey, she's in a better place now. No more suffering. It's easy to go to someone whose marriage has just fallen apart and say, listen, there's still time. You might find someone else. Things could really turn around for you. It's easy because it's not you. And so you say, of course I believe these things. Of course I affirm these things. Of course I know them to be true. And you say that because you're not the one in the storm. But what about when it is you? Then it's not so easy to affirm those things and believe those things, is it? Then your faith is truly tested. Then the disconnect becomes real for you. Then you're the one trying to make sense of that tension between what you know to be true and what you're experiencing in the moment. And let me just tell you, the only thing that's going to help you out in that situation is by reminding yourself that your circumstances do not get to define God. Your emotions do not get to define God. Your feelings do not get to define God. God defines God. And so we must remember who He says He is and what He says He's like. And then listen to me, we have to cling to that truth with everything that we have. There's a great passage that illustrates this reality in the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Listen to this. This will be on the screen. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fell, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold. In other words, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, everything is going wrong. Even though everything fails... Even though nothing produces, even though there is no fruit, even though everything is collapsing around us, even though everything is going as bad as it can possibly be, listen to it, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is unchanging, and because He is unchanging, it means that He is always, in every circumstance, worthy of our love and our trust and our praise. There's one final thing I want you to know here from this passage for when we go through storms. Look at verses 26 through 27. The the Bible says, Then He rose, and He rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So so look at this. This is interesting. Uh, Throughout the Bible, there is only one who demonstrates the power to control the forces of nature and of creation. 
And here, right before the disciples' very eyes, Jesus does that very thing. He literally talks to a storm and tells it to stop. Rebukes it. Peace, be still, calm down. Shh. And it listens to him. And and notice the the repeated irony and contrast here. There was a, a mega storm, and the disciples were mega afraid. And in the place of that mega storm and that mega fear, what does it say? There's a great mega calm. Mega storm, mega fear. Jesus comes in, mega calm. And so they look at each other and they go, what sort of man is this? Who can do this kind of thing? And if he can do this, what else can he do? I remember the, the first time I ever read Judah, this story, when he was a, a kid. He was about two, I think, at the time. And I did it very intentionally because he was very afraid of thunderstorms at the time. And I had looked ahead at the radar and I had seen that it was going to storm that night. So I thought, perfect time to read Judah, the story of Jesus calming the storm at sea. And so we're in his bedroom and I'm reading him this storm and I, I, I read it to him. And when we get done, he was absolutely amazed. He was like, whoa, this is awesome. Jesus actually calmed the storm. This is so cool. I was like, yeah, that's right. Jesus can calm storms. It's great. And he goes, daddy, when we pray tonight before bed, he said, can we pray and ask Jesus not to let it storm? And I was like, of course we can. That sounds awesome. Yes, we will do that 100%. And so we pray and he asked Jesus, please don't let it storm. And I told him, I said, listen, even if it does storm and Jesus doesn't make it end, I said, the more important thing to know is what the disciples needed to know here. That they had no reason to be afraid because Jesus was with them. It doesn't matter what's going on around the ship or around the boat because Jesus is the one in the boat. So I told him, I said, listen, if, if you pray and Jesus doesn't, you know, stop the storm from coming, you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is with you at all times. And so that'll give you strength. That'll give you braveness. And so we, we went to bed that night and it did storm. It did. But uh, Judah slept all night. Didn't even wake up once. And I went to get him up in the morning and he was so excited. Like a kid at Christmas, I walk in and he goes, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I'm like, what? What's going on? And he said, it started storming last night and I started getting afraid. But then I asked Jesus, I prayed and asked him to calm the storm. And he did. And I was like, that's right. That's awesome. He was like, he actually calmed the storm. And he was so amazed at the fact that he could pray and ask Jesus to do what he reads in the Bible. And then it actually happened in his life. And folks, listen to me. I tell you this to say this. I don't want us to lose the childlike wonder that we should have when we read this passage. I mean, we read over it all the time, right? Oh, this is the story when Jesus calms the storm at sea. We know this and we read right by it, don't we? What if we all had that childlike excitement still? Where we looked at what Jesus did and we realized no one in this room can do that, right? I definitely can't do that. Jordan can't do it. Joseph can't do it. We don't have that kind of power. What if we read this story and we said like the disciples, what sort of God is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, that's the point after all. It's not that Jesus is going to stop every storm in your life. It's not that Jesus will calm every storm in your life. Folks, you have to understand the point is that Jesus can calm every storm in your life. But even when he doesn't, what matters most is that he's with you. Because when Jesus is with you, 
you don't have to be afraid of anything. And so we must remember who's in the storm with us. When those storms come into your life and those trials and those difficulties set in, out of everything else we have to do and remember, we must remember who is in the storm with us. Because when Jesus is with us, the Bible says there is nothing that can be against us. Jesus is the one who gets the disciples through the storm because he's the one in the boat with the disciples. That's all that mattered. They didn't need to worry. They didn't need to scramble. They didn't need to freak out and think they were going to die. As long as Jesus was with them, they were safe. And the same is true for us, church. You understand this, that storms will tempt you to abandon Jesus, won't they? They'll, they'll, they'll tempt you to treat Jesus kind of like Jonah. You know, there's a lot of similarities between the two stories. I'm not going to get into it. Podcast question. Anywho, all right. Storms will tempt you to treat Jesus like Jonah and toss him out of your life and thinking that's going to get the storm to stop. Don't we do that? I, this storm's happening in my life. Everything's falling apart. It's going crazy. And you go, well, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I'm done with it. I thought that by being a Christian, things would go well for me. I thought things would be great. And now my life is harder than it's ever been. I've got people who hate me. I get hate mail. People insult me all the time. People mock me. Everything in my life is crumbling. Jesus, if this is what it means to follow you, overboard with you. You get out of here. Maybe that'll bring some calm. That's why so many people in our world today have walked away from the faith because they had expectations of Jesus that are never promised in the Bible. And when Jesus didn't meet those expectations, they got rid of Jesus. What you have to understand is if you want to make it through a storm in your life, you must be near to the one who is sovereign over every storm. Only when Jesus is in your heart and in your life will you have what it takes and have what you need to persevere through all of life's storms. You know, there's an old saying that says that every single person is either going through a storm has just come out of a storm, and this one's not fun, or is about to head into a storm. Don't you wish that wasn't true, just like for once? (laughs) But life experience has told us that it is. You cannot avoid the storms of this life, but you know what you can do? You can learn from them and see what God is trying to teach you through each and every storm, because we know that with a storm, He brings a lesson. When everything is crashing around us and the storms come, we can remind ourselves of who God actually is, not what the storms make us think He is. We can remind us of what He says about Himself, even when everything around us is trying to convince us otherwise. And most importantly, when those storms come, we can remember who's in the boat with us. It's the one who promised that He would never leave us or forsake us. It's the one who says that he would be with us even to the end of the age. And as the Bible says, when our God is for us, then who can be against us? Nobody. And so if you've experienced that in your life, and you trust God, and you know his heart, then just like Newton, one day you'll be able to say, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Amen? Let's pray.